You know, honestly, I don't know whether I love or I hate this a screen time feature on the iPhone. It's the uh, feature that keeps track of just how long you've been on the phone and social media. Uh, Caroline, Dusty, let me give you the over-under. Uh, here we are. It's roughly one thirty in the afternoon. Do you think I've gone over three hours of screen time or under three hours of screen time for the day? I'm going to say over. Think I'm over, Dust? Okay. I think over. Over as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're both absolutely correct. <laughs> three hours and ten minutes and counting. All right. And according to a recent article in the New York Times, I'm not the only one that's uh, having a problem with my uh, smartphone and getting off the screen. Some parents in the U.S. are actually now hiring screen-free parenting coaches to help them raise phone-free children. And for more on this trend, let's welcome in our friend Cam Adair. He is the founder of Game Quitters, which is the largest support group for video game addiction in the world. Cam, thanks for joining us. And how are you today? I'm good. How are you, Jeff? Well, I'm okay, I think. I don't know, a little over three hours screen time so far at uh, 1.30 in the afternoon, a little more than half uh, halfway through my workday. Uh, should I get counseling? I'm glad that my screen time feature is actually broken. It constantly tells me I have about 10 minutes a week, and I'm like, yes, I'm doing good. But, <laughs> I mean, you obviously use yours for work, I'm guessing. So oh, absolutely. It's not yeah. that uncommon. Uh, but I think the biggest thing people listening to this want to pay attention to is you know, we all use a lot of screen time. It's integrated into our lives, and we need to pay attention to whether or not it's having a, a positive or negative impact on our life. All right. Well, let's talk a bit about this a trend that is uh, seemingly picking up steam there in the U.S. Several U.S. Uh, states actually uh, have these screen-free coaches. What, what exactly do these coaches uh, do for parents and for their kids? Well, I hear from parents all over the world. This is 95 countries that I've heard from, and these are parents who are trying to reduce screen time in their homes, you know, get rid of screens and actually have support to do it. It can be really hard to navigate. You know, you can set limits, but then, you know, what about tantrums or explosions? What about, you know, potential violence that happens when screens are removed? So having support is really important, actually. Yeah. And how dangerous is it for particularly kids, uh, small kids, children uh, to be on the uh, phone and on the phone excessively? Well, it's certainly not having the best impact. I think if we look at teenagers, especially teenage girls, and their depression and suicide rates are increasing quite rapidly, especially you know around the the time that the iPhone came out, and you know social media is a whole new thing that we have to navigate for our kids. And you know the average screen time for toddlers under two years old is over three hours a day, and these are kids under two who are interested in anything. So I think we all need to kind of reflect on how we you know, have a relationship with screens in our lives and whether or not we can make some changes. Yeah, that's pretty mind-blowing. Over three hours a day for toddlers uh, under two. I mean, does that speak to uh, parents and parenting styles, and are we relying just uh, too much on these uh, screens to keep uh, young toddlers entertained? Well, screens are, you know, an easy fix. Like, traditionally, you know, you had a toddler, you're out for lunch with a friend, and you wanted to have a conversation, you needed to you know, find some way to occupy them. So you brought a book or you brought a toy. But now we have this perfect sedative in our pocket called an iPhone that works perfectly for as long as we need it to. And, you know, just from a kind of compulsive behavior standpoint, it's so hard to not use that magic pill iPhone in your pocket. And so, you know, I think for parents, it is a shift in their parenting styles. And parents are busy. You know, single-parent households are more common these days. And screens are a great way to babysit. 
Uh, you know, I want to pick up uh, again on uh, just how important this is, uh, particularly uh, for kids, because I'm wondering, uh, you know, if their screen time is excessive and they're just uh, so impressionable at uh, that age, at a young age, are we setting them up for a lifetime of this and uh, perhaps a, a real bad addiction uh, down the road? The largest age group that I hear from is 18 to 24. And so actually when parents are around and they're able to kind of supervise that limits screens or gaming specifically don't become too big of problems. You know, certainly there are problems, but parents can help to, to mitigate them. But when their kids get off to college and they no longer have parent supervision and, you know, they have harder classwork, more stress, more responsibilities, that's where a lot of problems with screens begin to, to manifest. And, you know, that's where the negative impact of failing a class or failing out of school or really struggling to gain employment afterwards is where people begin to experience it. Yeah. Cam, what would you say to those that are listening, parents that are listening and hear this uh, trend of hiring screen-free parenting uh, coaches and think, oh, come on, uh, really? That's what you need? You need to bring somebody in to coach your kid uh, off the phone? What would you say to those, uh, to critics? I'd offer them a challenge of take screens away from your kids for three days and see how it works. I think that, you know, it's easy to have an opinion online, but, you know, the reality is a lot of parents are struggling. A lot of the families are struggling. And I think our answer as a society should be, you know, what can we do to help? And if that involves having, you know, people specializing in screens or if that involves, you know, more therapy or more services available for the public, you know, that's a good thing. Joined on the phone by Cam Adair, who's the founder of Game Quitters, which is the largest support group for video game addiction in the world. And Cam, we also wanted to get your take on a story that's a little closer to home here, a little more local in the Toronto area, where uh, one family has received a, a bill of just over $1,200. These charges happening within just two days, 48 hours, after uh, their son celebrated his birthday and asked his dad if he could make some, quote, in-game purchases playing his favorite video game. Now, apparently some of these games, Cam, allow players to use what's known as a virtual wallet to try and gain an advantage over opponents. Is this a, a tactic that is used by uh, developers to, to, to get money out of kids and their parents? Games have evolved, and one of the biggest ways they've evolved is through integrating in-app purchases, microtransactions, and loot boxes into their games. So the entire business model of games has changed, and now they're a lot more focused on, you know, giving the game away for free to get you to play it or giving it away for a small amount of money and then getting you to spend more money within the game in small amounts because we know from psychology that if you're spending small amounts consistently, you don't notice how much money you're spending. And, you know, I hear these stories all the time, parents finding their kids have stolen their credit cards and spent a bunch of money in a video game, and it happens very quickly before they maybe even get a notification or get a credit card statement. So parents out there need to make sure that they're setting parental controls, being aware of any credit cards attached to any games or accounts, and making sure that they're not allowing these in-app purchases to happen often. Yeah. How responsible are the developers and the companies behind these games? Do we hold them to account, Cam? Because, you know, I'm thinking back uh, when I was a young young kid, you know, 10, 12 years old, uh, it was Pong and it was Atari 2600, and games have uh, developed and come so far, obviously, since then. And as you just mentioned, they're happy to give the game away now. You used to have to buy the game cartridges, but it seems as if developers just want to get the game into kids' hands and get them addicted and spending money within the game. Well, and the profits are skyrocketing. Activision in 2017 had $7 billion worth of revenue, and $4 billion of that came from in-app purchases alone. 
which wasn't even part of their business model, you know, a number of years ago. And so profits are skyrocketing. Developers know exactly what they're doing. They're designed by behavioral psychologists. They're using state-of-the-art behavioral psychology to design their games. And they certainly have a responsibility. I advise governments all over the world on potential regulations that are coming. And I am sad to report that Canada seems to be very behind from a government investigation into these sorts of mechanics, especially the concerns over gambling mechanics being instituted into games that are targeted towards kids. So I'd like to see Canada and the government get a lot more involved in at least launching an inquiry into this and begin to investigate it. Interesting. Uh, what does your experience tell you about the father in this case who was surprised when he opened up his credit card bill and there was a bill for just over $1,200? He says his son could use $60 of his birthday money to buy some virtual uh, currency online. Obviously, he went way over that. Uh, is there any chance of him getting this bill uh, canceled or get get his money back or, or is it gone? It's typically gone. Companies, especially game companies, sometimes have a one-time kind of forgiveness opportunity of, you know, once in your lifetime you're able to message them and say, hey, we'd like our money back, and they'll do it. Uh, but a lot of companies have been known to, you know, not give refunds for these things. And, you know, it's it's really – these family fraud cases are, are very prominent. And I think it's unfortunate that, you know, game companies don't do more to help – families know that this is even an opportunity that can happen in the game or knowing that a credit card is attached or, you know, there's almost no payment notification either or authorization. It's strictly, you know, press a button, download it, get it, get the new item. And, you know, credit card has been charged. Cam Adair, founder of Game Quitters, the largest support group for video game addiction in the world. Cam, always a great conversation. Always learn something when we talk. Thanks so much for coming on the show again. Thanks for having me.